Shall we pray? Father, as we gather here in your house this morning, we, we praise you for the privilege and the opportunity of coming together for the freedom we enjoy in this great country to worship you. Father, help us to do so now in spirit and in truth and let all that we say and do rise as a pleasing sacrifice acceptable in your sight because you alone are worthy. We thank you for this opportunity to to begin a new Sunday school year for these first graders, rising first graders standing before us here this morning. Father, help us as older adults to realize the responsibility we always have to those younger who are watching and learning and listening what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Speak to us in worship and guide us in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be seated. Every year it's such a privilege for us as a church to present to rising first graders a Bible. And it's a Bible that's in a translation that's easy for them to understand and, uh, and learn and read from. You remember last week in Happy Club, we had a little girl who brought kind of a, a reader book. And, and I mentioned then that the original purpose for teaching children how to read, those very early primers of reading, were specifically so children could learn to read the Bible. And uh, what a gift we have, having the Bible in our language, having God's Word, and and phrases that we can understand. And we believe these children are not too young to hear the name of Jesus and read about him and learn of his love. So we're grateful for our children's ministry. We rejoice in these children, rising first graders before us, and the opportunity to partner with their parents to teach them the good news of Jesus Christ. Ms. Sabina, come guide us through this. Oh, let me also say this. In the Bibles, once again, we have highlighted one verse. And uh, when the children find that verse, they can bring it to me or Miss Sabina, and we will give them a, a little treat. But they're important verses, and, and each one, each Bible has a different verse, and all of them are outstanding verses in the Old and New Testament. So don't, don't look for these during church, but when you go home... <laughs> This afternoon, start looking through your Bible and find a highlighted verse, and when you find it, we will share your excitement. We have had an exciting year, um, and I'm just so grateful for all the parents who have been so faithful in bringing their children, and, and this is just a special time as we make that transition from the preschool ministry to the children's ministry. Um, as they begin a, a closer walk in their spiritual development um, and accountability, they start to approaching that age. And so we just want to recognize them and encourage them um, and for this Bible to serve as a spiritual marker in their life of the spiritual growth. Um, I do be, um, we're going to present their Bibles, and then everyone uh, is going to remain right here. And then, boys and girls, you'll go and sit back with your Sunday school group. And then at Happy Club, you'll come uh, down to Happy Club, and then you can go to Children's Church or, or uh, go to your parents. Um, with our uh, kindergarten class, Kindergarten A, um, the teachers in that class are Miss Sabie Suggs, Miss Becky Akins, and Jenny Pafford, and just appreciate them and um, what they've done throughout this, uh, this year and for the many years that they have also served. Um, so the first one, Emma Cargill. 
Hayden Chancy, Alexis Dotson, Gabby Driggers, Maggie Grace Fletcher, Sarah Gomez, Ashlyn Hampton, Corbett Jones, Jalen Kelly, Annabelle Kinsey, and Sarah Lee. And then in our Kindergarten B class, um, the teachers in that class uh, this year have been uh, uh, Larry and Brenda Lang. And if you noticed, um, Larry um, has persevered and he uh, has had a major break this year and uh, didn't slow him down. And we just appreciate him being back and faithful. And uh, Ted Thornhill and Elsie Berry. Um, Chad Barlow. Kaylin Carpenter, Ethan Crosby, Lauren Grace Godwin, Dallas Henderson, Davis Henderson, Chandler Jones, Helen Merriman, Walker Meeks, Jason Cody Morris, Ty Norman, Lars Sims, Laura Kate Wright, and Mallory Jane Waddell. And let's just give them all a hand as they as they go and find their have a seat. And they're going to, uh, boys and girls, start with Mallory. You can go down and sit back with your Sunday school class. And then we will have um, the Welcome and Happy Club in just a second. Uh, we have just had a great year. Not only do these children make the transition up uh, for Sunday school from uh, the main floor up to the um, second floor, uh, they will also, on family night, they'll leave mission friends and they'll go to uh, first grade choir and they'll go to RAs and GAs uh, rather than to mission friends uh, as a group, boy and girl. So we're just really excited about that and just want to encourage you to, um, to be here as we begin um, our family night ministry. Let me see. Okay. I just, I couldn't help but reflect, parents, that uh, as, as we presented the Bibles and, and applauded, we will turn around and 18 years from now, they'll be lined up across this stage graduating from high school. And we'll be presenting them um, books at that time and we'll be applauding again. And how important these next 18 years are going to be. And uh, we just covenant with you to do all we can to help you raise these precious gifts in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I think they're already looking for their verses. Um, I just want to extend a special welcome to you, um, especially if this is your first time visiting with us. Uh, we're so excited that you're here today. This is, has been an exciting day if you're anywhere involved in the preschool and children's ministry because all the classes visited their new class 
for promotion Sunday next week and then went back to their old. And so it's just been a, an exciting day, and we're just so glad that it is an exciting day. I also want to just take a moment and just recognize um, our children uh, camp. Uh, we had about 160 go to children camp this summer, youth, adult, and counselors, uh, our children. Um, and had 16 professions of faith this, that, uh, that week. So it was uh, God just blessed us, and our youth and adults just did a great job, and they're all sitting, uh, a lot of them up here together. And so um, let's just give all those uh, adult and youth and the children a, a hand for putting up with all those adults. And we, we do have a uh, camp luncheon for all those who attended camp following uh, this service. Uh, we're just going to ask, if this is your first time visiting with us, that you just remain seated for just a moment so we can give a welcome packet to you. And in there is a form that we'd uh, like for you to fill out and then just place an offering plate for us so we'll have a record of your visit and can get some more information to you. So First Baptist, if you'd stand and greet one another and look for those visitors around you. us today. I hope you'll open up your heart to what God is trying to tell you through the worship and the sermon. If you have anything you need prayer for, or you'd like to make a confession of faith, or you're just curious about the whole faith thing, don't be afraid to call us. We have counselors standing by. Our number is 229-382-6063. Or if you're just interested about our church and what's going on, the website is fbctifton.org. Now, I hope you enjoyed the rest of the service. Thanks for joining us.
Thank you. And be seated. All right, boys and girls. Needless to say, the staff was quick to correct me. It'll be in 12 years rather than 18 years that we'll be doing the baccalaureate. So see, it's already sooner than we thought. I think Brooks Crawford has the Happy Club bag. Where'd Brooks go? There he is. He brought something. Let's see what he's got in here. It looks like a some kind of necklace of some kind. What is this, Brooks? A shark tooth. A shark tooth? Where did you get this? At the beach. At the beach? And you kind of wear that, and what does that remind you of? Sharks, okay. <laughs> Why did you want to bring this to Happy Club? Is something you got this summer and you really liked? Mm-hmm. What are these brown things on here? I don't really know. I don't know. It looks like little pieces of leather on a, on a string and a shark tooth that you got at the beach. And, um, boy, I don't, I don't know what to say much about a shark tooth. I wish I knew my biology better about shark teeth. I know they shed teeth, don't they? Don't they lose a lot of teeth as they grow? Yes. I guess. Well, here's one that somebody's missing. I've never seen a toothless shark, so I hope they... That'd be kind of sad, wouldn't it? So I hope they... A hammerhead shark. There are different kinds of sharks, and they usually grow their teeth back. They have a... How many teeth do they have? They have a whole mouthful of teeth, don't they? First, they're a hundred, at least a hundred, and then they lose them, and they grow more. And they all... That's right. So this is a big group, and we've all got ideas about sharks. Um, you know what, I guess what I want, to, want us to remember, boys and girls, is, is how this shark loses his teeth and then grows more, and, and all, all that happens as he grows up. There's a natural thing that happens as sharks grow from baby sharks to big sharks. And I guess the, the same thing happens to us. How many of you have lost a tooth? Some of you, some of you I can look at you and tell you're losing teeth. Um, and, and then adult teeth will grow in, and you'll grow up, and it's just all part of growing up. And I guess what I, what I appreciate about that, boys and girls, is knowing that, that God is in control of that and he's in control of our reading. Y'all listen to me. God's in control of, of everything that happens to us as we grow up, as we lose our teeth, as we grow, as we get adult teeth, as we become, as we, as we grow up and become older. You know, God's with us and he teaches us about him all along the way. And that's why these Bibles are so important. So first graders, you hang on to these and keep them close to your heart and read them and think about what they're saying to you and about God's love for you and your family's love and your church family's love. So Brooks, this reminds me of sharks, baby sharks who lose their teeth and grow up and how we lose our teeth and grow up and how God's with us each step of the way. So let's pray and you pray after me and we're going to thank God for being with us. Dear God, thank you. As we grow, you're with us, and you help us each step of the way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Miss Sabina, it's a girl's turn, isn't it? Where's Jalen? Will you take the bag home and bring something special back next week, please? All right, boys and girls, if you'd like to go to children's worship, you can go with Miss Sabina.
heart that knows for fears can you imagine that and the only tears we weep are tears of joy every hunger satisfied and every baby's cry would be heard a soul that never grieves can you imagine that and a father never leaves his child alone the darkness has no power no desperate lonely hour to make it through until the morning light and we would see the hope with each sunrise in a perfect chance allowed in a perfect world there would be enough love to go around somehow and peace would be the sweetest sound on earth in a perfect
perfect world. One of the surest ways to find out what's important to somebody is just to examine them for a little bit. Jesus said it this way. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We're going to sing a hymn now that calls attention to that. It says, Be thou my vision, O God of my heart. It says, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. You are my inheritance now in all ways. Will you stand as we sing, Be thou my vision. to your service with love and great happiness. We pray that this church will continue to meet the challenges of the future. We pray that we continue to maintain the integrity, stay the course, fight the fight, and victory will be ours in Christ Jesus. We pray. Amen.
That was a beautiful choir. Thank you. Our God is good. That's basically the message of Ruth. We're in a series of sermons from each book of the Bible, and we're in the book of Ruth. I hope you're familiar with this book. What a great Old Testament book. Four chapters. And yet what a wonderful story it tells about God's faithfulness in the midst of heartache. The sermon is titled Grace in the Old Testament. I'm going to read from the first of Ruth, and then we're going to skip over to chapter 4, which is the end of the book, and get a glimpse of how things turn out, just so you'll know, like Naomi, that when things look bleak, and there's pain and challenges and difficulty, if you can just hang on to the end, you'll see how, how good God is, how faithful, and how His grace is sufficient. Ruth 1, 1 through 9, and then 16 through 22, and then chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, says this. In the days when the judges ruled, we studied the judges last week, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. Both Malon and Kilion died so that the woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. Then she started with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find a home, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Skipping over to verse 16, Ruth refuses to leave Naomi, and this is the verse that you hear in weddings often, actually first used for a daughter-in-law to her mother-in-law. Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if even death parts me from you. When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has afflicted me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite is her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. And you know the story of barley harvest, how Boaz saw Ruth and Naomi gleaming the leftover barley, and, and Ruth um, had favor in Boaz's eyes, and they fell in love and were married in chapter 4, verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. He went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. She bore a son. 
The women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons has borne him. Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom, became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. Listen to this. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Shall we pray? Father, as we consider this Old Testament story of Naomi, who went through terrible tragedy and loss, and yet still persevered in the faith because your grace sustained her, was able to come out in the end and be a part of the lineage of Jesus. Father, help those who are hurting today, either here or watching by television, to know that your grace is with them and will sustain them through the difficult times. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I've been reading some good theology recently. Some of it's better than others. And in that good theology, I've noticed a pattern. Because every time Snoopy puts his typewriter on his doghouse and begins a novel, it always starts with this. What is it? It was a dark and stormy night. Well, Lucy, that little know-it-all friend of theirs, came to Snoopy and said, that's no way to begin a book. So he modified his introduction and wrote, once upon a time, it was a dark and stormy night. And I'll agree with Lucy, it's not too imaginative a way to begin a novel, yet there's something to that classic introduction because in Snoopy's book, those words might be just a simple way to begin a story, but for you and me at various times in our lives, it tells our story. Because all of us at some point in our lives have faced a dark and stormy night. Maybe that phrase is trite because we all share in its truth and it has become too painfully familiar. Sometimes with us, it is a darkness caused by loneliness. Even though we live in a crowded, bustling society, we are still labeled as the lonely crowd because there's so much activity going on around us and, and there's an aching within us for intimate, meaningful relationships. But we put on our masks and we surround ourselves with fluff and activities and noise. But sometimes when we let our guard down, that darkness of loneliness still seeps in like a thick, dark fog. Perhaps you've known the darkness of disappointment. Some personal failure sends us reeling. Someone you trust lets you down. A relationship crumbles. A dream is shattered. And hope is crushed by dark reality. Sometimes it may be the darkness of decision. And you really have sought God's guidance in a particular matter and you really want to know what his will is to do it. But you stare into the darkness of the future and you hear only silence and you wonder where God is and why he seems to be so silent when you need to hear from him most. And sometimes with the darkness comes a storm and it may be the storm of grief. Maybe you've experienced it weeks, months, even years after someone you love 
has died. You think you've healed. You think you've got it licked. And then something, some insignificant word or event triggers your emotions and your grief unleashes upon you like a giant ocean wave crashing over your head. And so it is with our story in the background that we turn to the pages of Scripture and we look at the story of Naomi. Maybe she's not so different from us after all. Maybe her experiences are not that unique. Let me take some liberties to imagine the scene in the text we just read. Let's enter into it. Darkness crept over the village a few hours ago. The town is sleeping, but in one edge of the village, a light flickers. Naomi stands alone in her room, and she's looking out of the window. The storm is gathering outside, but she doesn't notice because she's lost in her thoughts, half thinking and half praying. In the soft light of the oil lamp, tears glisten on her wrinkled cheeks. The storm outside echoes the inner storm that's raging within her heart. For in the loneliness of the night, Naomi remembers, and she grieves. Because she's thinking of Elimelech and what it was like to fall in love with him so many years ago. Elimelech may have just seemed like an ordinary farmer to most of the people in Bethlehem, but there was a a quiet strength that first drew Naomi to him. Memories of their life together now raced through her mind. The first date, the first sense of love, the, the wedding, and then the move. It was a hard decision to leave Bethlehem. But for three long seasons, the skies refused to rain and the soil just grew hard and brittle. The crops withered. We know what that's like the first few months of this growing season, didn't we? We'll multiply that times three years and you'll know what Elimelech and Naomi were going through. They did without the extras. They began to cut back at first. But then even the necessities. They borrowed money, but soon the supply of money shriveled up as badly as the crops. I wasn't alive during the Depression, but a lot of you were, and and some of our parents were. And I know that then a lot of farmers had to leave their ground and try to find work in the city. And we're seeing that happening today. Giving up the farm wasn't an easy choice for Naomi and Elimelech, but it was something they had to do. And that's why Naomi already knew what Elimelech was going to say that night after the two boys had gone to bed. They were going to have to leave the farm because they heard there was good land and food in the neighboring country of Moab. Now, Moab was east of Bethlehem, just on the other side of the Dead Sea. And so Naomi knew it made sense. It was the right thing to do, but it was hard and it hurt. And so they moved, the four of them, Elimelech, Naomi, and the two sons, into a foreign land. And they lived like immigrants, never really welcome, but but tolerated because they were always outsiders. And every year they talked about going home, but soon one year turned into five. And then Elimelech got sick. There was no medical care in that day. No one knew what to do. And Naomi, when she prayed to her God, wondered how such a kind, gentle man could be made to suffer so much. On a cool autumn night, she sat beside her husband's bed and listened to him. As he breathed, she held his once strong, calloused hands between her two small hands. 
and every shallow raspy breath until he breathed no more. The family carried on as best they could. The two boys were old enough to farm the land that Elimelech had cultivated in this new land of Moab. Both of them fell in love and married Moabite girls. The family didn't have much, but at least they had food on the table and they had each other. But then tragedy struck again. Naomi couldn't figure it out. Maybe it was something hereditary, something in their blood. Naomi never really knew. Maybe the names give us clues because her two sons, Malon and Kilion, died. Malon, the name means sickly. How would you like to name your child that? Kilion means wasting away. And so just like Elimelech, whatever it was, it cruelly took the life out of her two boys. They died just a month apart and were buried out beside their father behind the house. Naomi, in a terrible twist that only life can give, suffered a triple tragedy. And I want you to see how how the scripture put it, verse 5 of chapter 1. The woman was bereft of her two sons and her husband. It hardly does her grief justice, does it? Naomi tried to carry on, but it was so hard. Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, stayed on and lived with her, and they loved her. But on nights like this, the grief still overwhelmed. And now in the early morning hours, Naomi came to a decision. She's going to go back home to Bethlehem, back to people, family, who were familiar and friendly. And that she's heard there's food again in Judah, and surely she can find some way to eke out a meager living back home. It isn't much, but at least it's her home. What else does she have? So she closes the shutters and snuffs out the oil lamp and slips into bed. Tomorrow she'll begin packing. The next morning after breakfast, Naomi breaks her news to Orpah and Ruth, and both of them insist on going with her back to Bethlehem, but Naomi insists that they stay behind, realizing that being from the land of Moab, at least they have a future there. There are tears all around, and finally, at the last minute, Orpah agrees to stay, but Ruth will not take no for an answer. And so here go mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, home to Bethlehem. And there's a picture here that I don't want us to miss, because here are two women represented different stages of faith. Ruth is a young believer, and she embarks on a new journey, drawn to faith in this Hebrew God, by what she has seen in the life of her mother-in-law. Naomi has been a believer for a long time, but she is struggling and she's groping for answers and she's believing, but at the moment, her faith is standing on wobbly legs. What if Naomi came into church this morning and we asked her to give her testimony? What would she say? Chances are she would say something like what she told the women in Bethlehem, When she arrived home, they said, Naomi, is this really you after all these years? Verse 19, and she says, do not call me Naomi, because Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara instead, which means bitter, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has afflicted me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. Okay, thank you, Naomi. Does anyone else want to give a testimony this morning? 
That would send a hush, a chilling hush over any congregation, wouldn't it? And some scholars are hard on Naomi at this point. They see her words as an indication that she has failed to handle her grief and she is allowing herself to to wallow in self-pity and has become bitter. I don't think so. I think Naomi's just being honest. So is the Bible. And I'll take honest doubt over shallow faith any day of the week. I don't think Naomi's given up on God. But she can't just dish out shallow platitudes in response to the harsh realities of life anymore. She hurts and she doesn't understand and faith just isn't as simple as it used to be. Now you and I have an advantage at this point because we have hindsight. We know how the story's going to end and, and we want to respond to, to Naomi's statements about God and we want to say, oh Naomi, if you could just see the end, if you could just know in the words of Paul Harvey the rest of the story. Listen Naomi, Ruth is going to go back to Bethlehem with you and she's going to meet your kinsman Boaz and they're going to get married. And not only that, Naomi, but they're going to have a son. And he's going to be your adopted son. And his name will be Obed. And he's going to grow up to be the father of Jesse, the father of David. And out of his line, Naomi, believe it or not, will come Jesus. But Naomi cannot see the end. She doesn't know how it's all going to turn out. Because Naomi, you see, has to live in the meantime. And that's the way it is with us. I wonder sometimes if the angels in heaven don't look down over the balcony and say, hang on, it's going to be worth it. If you could just see the end, you'll see how it all works out. But like Naomi, we cannot see the end. We have a better view of life than she had because after all, we live on this side of Christmas and Easter and we have the advantage of knowing Jesus living with us and walking with us through life. So even more than Naomi, we know God has the whole world in his hands, but sometimes we think our worlds might be slipping through his fingers. So it seems to me that understanding only comes at the end of the journey, and it's by faith we have to live along the way. At least that's the way it was for Naomi. Thank God she had someone like Ruth. Ruth was more than just a daughter-in-law. She was a friend. She listened. She cared. She tried to understand. She was drawn to Naomi's faith in this Hebrew God, and she wanted to know more of him. And so Naomi had Ruth to lean on. And and incidentally, doesn't that say something about the importance of the church to us? The church is our family, our community of faith, our refuge, where grace can be found. And could it be that what we need when we hurt is not so much simplistic answers as friends, not explanations so much as sisters and brothers with shoulders big enough to cry on and strong enough to lean on? Could it be the best response to hurting people is not to to offer easy answers, but, but just ourselves? Thank God for the grace that comes through persons to us. Sometimes by their presence. Thank God Naomi had someone like Ruth walking along beside her. But there's another dimension to the story that I don't want you to miss. Naomi is 
struggling in her faith, but Ruth still sees something believable and attractive in Naomi. Even in the midst of her weakness and vulnerability, Ruth was willing to leave everything she had ever known in Moab and tag along with Naomi to a new foreign land called Bethlehem. She might not have found any easy answers in Naomi, but she found enough to make a difference. The grace that touched Ruth through Naomi didn't come in the bright lights of a superstar Christian. It came in the form of a person who was broken but still believed, who hurt but still hoped. And so it is with our lives. We'd rather be spared the tragedies and problems. But could it be that somehow God uses the tragedies of life and the weakness and the pain and the brokenness in our own lives to minister to the needs, the hurts and griefs of others? Because I think grace is strongest, not in the testimonies of superstar Christians, but in the quiet testimonies of everyday people like you and I who struggle daily with life's burdens and how they impact our faith. Or maybe struggle with our faith and how it changes how we look at life's burdens. Think of somebody right now, maybe a parent, a grandparent, a, a Sunday school teacher, an RA or GA leader, someone who faced one hardship after another in life, someone who really knew what tragedy was all about, but at the same time, someone in whom God's grace was always present. Thornton Wilder's play, I think, was right when he said in love service, only wounded soldiers serve. Because it's been in wounded soldiers that I found God's grace and I've been ministered to. Is there someone like that in your life, past or present? Give thanks to them right now. Thank goodness Ruth had Naomi. And thankfully, we all have Jesus. And he knows our pain because he suffered too. And because of the, the miracle of the cross, we never have to endure pain alone again. The God who loves us enough to die for us stands beside us and suffers with us. And in that relationship, grace abounds because Jesus knew what a dark and stormy night was like. He lived it. He didn't promise to always calm the raging waters that beset us, but he did promise to get in the boat and ride them out with us. So we have Jesus. And he promised to be with us to the end of the age. That's an advantage we have over Naomi in the Old Testament. The wife of a theology professor at seminary passed away while I was a student there. She died of cancer at the age of 40 and left behind a husband and a 13-year-old son and a 10-year-old daughter. The funeral was in the seminary chapel, so a lot of us students attended the funeral. I'd never had Frank Tupper for theology, but I knew he was a little unorthodox. He was a little crazy. But the picture of Frank Tupper following the casket of his wife up at Seminary Chapel Isle holding the hands of his two children is not a, an image I shall ever forget. 
And even though he was unorthodox in a time of personal trial, his faith was an inspiration. Those that went to the funeral received a little printed thank you note from a grieving but still believing theology professor. And the message of the note was a simple reminder of grace. It said this, The journey is long, the way is hard, and the healing is slow. But there's always grace for the journey. Thank God for such grace. For the grace that comes to us through others who love us. For the grace that somehow works through our own brokenness and tragedies and experiences to minister to others. For the miraculous and sacrificial and costly grace that comes to us through Jesus Christ from a God who lovingly suffers alongside of us. There is grace for the journey. There's grace for the darkest and stormiest of nights. Thank God, the author and finisher of such grace that can sustain us even today. Shall we pray? God, we read at the beginning of Ruth where Naomi lost everything. And yet by the end of the book, through Ruth, became like a mother to Obed and a grandmother to Jesse and a great-grandmother of King David. And out of his line came Jesus. God, I don't know why you don't show us at the beginning how wonderfully everything's going to work out in the end. Maybe it's because you want us to, to live by faith and not by sight. And only by challenges and tragedies and pain is our faith challenged enough to grow. And in the growth, there's grace. And in the grace, there's faith. And in the faith, there's trust in Jesus. Father, I sense some folks here this morning going through a tragedy right now. Maybe it's something that's happened recently or happened years ago and they're still in the quagmire of heartache and sadness. Father, can you give them just a glimpse of your presence with them and and the good that's going to come and how it's all going to work out in the end for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. While we wait in the meantime, Pour out your grace and help us live by faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a beautiful hymn of invitation this morning. Number 312, Softly and Tenderly.
that's how Jesus calls. He doesn't bark at you. And he doesn't shake a stick at you. And he doesn't try to scare you into loving him and coming to faith in him as Lord and Savior. He just opens outstretched arms and softly and tenderly says, I love you. Whosoever will may come. In our early service, Lindsay Ross and Claire Hoffman came, two precious little girls, saying that they had given their hearts to Jesus this summer and wanted to join the church and be baptized. Maybe there's some others in this service. Maybe you need to profess your faith publicly. You've done so privately, but you haven't shared it with the church family. Maybe you need to rededicate your life, or maybe you need a church home. You've been visiting here, but you need a place that you can formalize those ties and say, this is going to be my church family, and I want to be loved by them, and I want to love them, and I want to...